Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech. I'm your host, Vani Estes, Vice President of Innovation for the International Fresh Produce Association. On the podcast, we get to hear from people that are shaping the produce industry with solutions to our biggest problems. Join me as we uncover the opportunities and advancements shaping the future of produce through a tech lens. Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech, where insight meets innovation. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. This season, we are focusing on the connection between packaging practices and the produce industry and the need for sustainability. Today, we are speaking to the former chef, Jared Cannon, the creator of Simply Good Jars. Jared founded the company in 2017 on the belief that food can help to facilitate global change. He aimed to introduce salads to a larger audience and expand access to healthy food, adding portability, convenience, and value. Welcome, Jared. Good to have you. Thanks, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be here and looking forward to kind of sharing more about what we're all about. Great. Well, why don't we start? Just why don't you tell people about Simply Good Jars and how you came up with the idea and what the company's up to? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Simply Good Jars was really founded on the belief that healthy food should be more accessible and equally delicious. And unfortunately, in in our world, they're neither. And so, you know, as a former chef, right, kind of working up through the ranks, if you will, in kitchens and hotels around the country, you start to see how much food is actually wasted inside the food system. And then externally, when you look out into the world, you see all these, you know, these issues with hunger, both in, in our children, in our, you know, town, cities, communities, and, you know, in the, the less fortunate population. You know, you have this discrepancy of food going to waste, you know, and all this hunger, and it, it seemed broken. And then the catalyst for me, right, was walking into a grocery store, seeing an orange peeled and put into a plastic container and just reinforcing the reality that in our current day, what we like to do is take off nature's perfect package, like in, a, in an orange example, and we cover uh-huh. it in plastic and then we use it for a second and we throw it away. Right. So this merging of high level of waste of food, this need for fresher, healthier food, as well as this kind of single use plastic waste issue that was really driven off of the need to have more convenient food options available was really the driving force behind, you know, starting what Simply Good Jars has become, which is really, you know, built on the back of utilizing the best fresh, delicious, locally grown produce and vegetables and and meats, cheeses and proteins, but being able to package them in a way that they're effectively preserved when we package our products for about five or six times longer than any other product in market, which really enables our products to outlive literally the freshness, the quality, and then also deliver higher caliber of flavor to the, the consumer market, which has been met with extraordinary response from the retail market space. Excellent. So what are your current products? What's out there? So we started with what we call our chef crafted shaker salads. So if you think of a mason jar, you could kind of visualize layered ingredients, kind of moist to dry, typically lettuce on top. You know, you may have seen them around in a variety of settings. Our products are really designed to shake like a craft cocktail. You know, as soon as you're ready to eat, <laughs> all the dressing mixes right inside. You know, there's no pouches or pullback dressing containers or forks you have to unwrap. It's, you can literally, you know, eat a salad in seconds and it's the freshest salad you probably have ever had, not in a restaurant. We also have a line of what we call all day parfaits. So kind of layered 
again, really high quality ingredients or kind of mixtures. So we do like an overnight oat that we, we pull in Greek mm-hmm. yogurt. And then we also create kind of a flavor profile reminiscent of kind of pie flavors, but without the sugar, right? So think of like apple pie or strawberry rhubarb or blueberry or peach or, and it just becomes an amazing, you know, treat breakfast, midday snack for $5 at, at retail. It's phenomenal. And then most recently we developed a line of basically fresh, ready to blend smoothie kits. So if you think of kind of the frozen smoothie in a cup, ingredients, fruits and vegetables, whatever, that you have to blend at home and it becomes all icy, gives you brain freeze. And we basically enabled through our technology that smoothie kit to exist in the fresh ecosystem. So, you know, fresh pineapples, fresh dried fruits. We have a green chickpea, toasted coconut, and we have this kind of really cool green tropical smoothie. And we've got a line of, you know, berry some functional elements too. So we use like a turmeric pineapple. We have goji and, and a couple other, you know, cool, cool items and a bunch of different smoothie kits. But that's kind of the newest, newest product lineup to the marketplace that we introduced this year. Wow. That's an amazing amount of innovation. Talk a little bit about your distribution, how widely you're distributed, where people can find it, and then kind of back back us through the supply chain to where sure. you put all this together. When we got started, I really wanted to kind of develop our own facilities and and infrastructure and just realize how big of a capital cost that really truly was. So we found kind of the best in class existing operators around the country. We've since activated three of six of of these facilities around the country. So our products are made in New York, in Florida and in Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, the supply chain is really built to leverage, you know, when possible, fresh locally grown lettuces or or produce or you know local distributors to inbound to our facilities to effectively kit our jarred items that basically go through our proprietary manufacturing process and equipment to create that shelf life advantage that then turn around and goes out to I think we're in about fourteen hundred locations at the moment. Our focus is really in the grab and go segment, so if you think of deli sections in you know local stores or club stores convenience stores a lot of food service programs you know with colleges universities healthcare you know i believe we're serving the masters tournament this coming april oh, wow. you know for kind of that grab and go kind of more concession uh, segment we're in some sports stadiums and so really just solving a need for fresher healthier products that are there when you need them and you know, at a great price point and really designed to to surprise and delight the taste buds. Excellent. So with the reverse supply chain, I know at the beginning you were looking at getting the jars back. How has that evolved and, and what are some of the challenges around that? And what's the recycle potential now for as you scale something like this, things like that get harder? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, COVID threw a curveball in a lot of businesses and business models. And so just to quickly predicate, the business model for us pre-COVID was actually return your physical container, the actual jar, back to us, the company. We would then basically create that reverse supply chain, get that jar washed, sanitized, re-delivered to our points of manufacture, refilled and redistributed into the marketplace to really lower our kind of entire footprint as it relates to our packaging. But as you can imagine, when a global pandemic shut down the world, basically, for much longer than anyone 
had anticipated initially, a lot of programs and thinking and stuff like that got basically thrown out the window. A lot of regulation change. We could not no longer actually receive the packaging that consumers had actually eaten out of. Right. And so that program basically went on pause uh, and we reintroduced kind of late 2020 and, and, you know, still to today, our kind of new promise is we put QR codes right on every single label that we produce on every product. And all consumers do is once they're done enjoying the product, they just scan that QR code and they basically pledge to either reuse that jar at home, whether it's for their spice cabinet or, or their desk or put plants in or simply throw it in the recycle bin, not in the you know mainstream waste bin. And in doing so, and, and for every pledge we receive that you know folks have done either reusing of the jar or recycling, we donate a meal to a local food pantry through the Feeding America Network around the country. So we ask for your zip code, where you bought it, how many jars you have, and then we're able to really retarget that impact locally based on where these jars were purchased, consumed, and recycled to really enable our package to still remain a token, right? A token of doing good, but really mm-hmm. you know put the onus on the consumer to do the right thing, join our calls and our mission to lessen our footprint. And instead of, you know, throwing our, our jars into landfills and oceans, just, you know, throw it in the recycle bin, give it another life. And, you know, we'll help nourish someone who didn't know where they were going to eat, you know, until they step into the food pantry. That's a great program. Yeah, I can see. I mean, I can imagine where you were sitting thinking this is a, we want to recycle all of this and this is what we want to do. And, and it just, you know, as many things, COVID just kind of shut that down, but great pivot to a different way of managing that and, and giving back to communities. I read somewhere in one of the articles about you that you said you've changed your business model four different times. Can you talk a little bit about that? I like to joke that I'm going to write a book someday called The Fifth Times the Charm, or Fifth Pivots the Charm. Yeah. And, I think but, you've made it. I think <laughs> Yeah, well, we're not done yet, right? But um, yeah. you never know. It could be the sixth. But, but yeah, so I mean, when I first imagined that even had the idea of starting a company, it took me five years to actually launch, quit my job and go all in, right? So very long process of iteration to even kind of get the cojones, so to speak, to, to take the leap and, and do something. But the, my approach was always to really allow the consumer to tell us what they wanted and allow the kind of the marketplace, if you will, to tell us how they wanted it. And so we, we from the, the very beginning, we took a very iterative approach to ensure that we did not spend significant amount of time on really anything until we kind of tested and proved it either through the, the consumer feedback loop or from the marketplace or for the kind of unit economics of the business. And so the business was founded and I got a thousand dollar loan and quit my job and have made it six years. So it's been kind of crazy. But, wow. you know, the, the business was founded on a direct to consumer model that we would deliver, hand deliver, almost like the milkman, right, with a four pack of jars. And the next week we would basically you know, ask for your old jars back and do kind of a, a switcheroo and give you your new new set of jars. It was based on dietary restrictions. So it was a rotating menu of a variety of products that we created in our kitchens that were all locally locally based and phenomenal program. We got... What city was that in? It was in Philadelphia. That's okay. Yeah. And so basically it's a subscription model. So we had recurring revenues that we basically used to fuel the operations to make the food and deliver it. But then we realized we had a waiting list of like 700 people in a week or two. 
And then it just kept growing. And we realized the more we grew that business, the more our costs kind of grew in parallel with that business growth. And so we realized we needed to consolidate our points of delivery. So we turned to kind of micro markets and smart vending as a, a precursor to be able to service communities or office buildings instead of individuals, which had its benefits, but also had its own challenges. And we actually worked through a lot of those until COVID completely made us rethink everything because those consumers went home and stayed home for two years. And so in order to survive, we had to rethink, you know, okay, how can we still consolidate our products? And we looked to kind of wholesale retail by the pallet, which was, it's the queen of consolidation, right? And realized at that point that we had the best shelf life by a factor of two of any other product like ours in the space. And within, I think by Easter of 2020, we were in about 80 Walgreens stores in Chicago. We were in 175 convenience stores on the East Coast and a variety of, of other random locations, airports and whatnot. And we did that from our bedrooms. And we had the capacity to do 10x what we had just done, which had you know tripled our projections for the year. And again, kind of out of necessity, you try things you might not have normally done. It's kind of what we were put in the position to do. It ended up working out for us, but it was not an easy thing to go through. And I'm not sure if we had to do it again, that we would have made it. So it was a day by day, hour by hour, good, solid five months where uh, we made it through. And then we realized that, you know, the shelf life advantage was so profound that everybody and everybody wanted it across all points of trade, all types of channels. And so we started trying and putting distribution into, you know, six or seven different channels at a time, realized that was a horrible idea. And so then we focused the business most recently, late last year, and have really found that product market fit in, in a variety of channels still, but you know, four key channels for us that are growing. We're through test phases and we're scaling nationally now with some really, really big customers that we're really excited to partner with. Excellent. In the technology of like, why does it last longer? I mean, that's that freshness. What, yep. what did you say? Nine days, five days? Oh, no, we're two weeks now. Two weeks. Yeah. So yep. what is going on technically? And, and is that patented? And, you know, what, what's behind that? So I'll do my best to tell you without telling you exactly how it's done. <laughs> right? but, but I mean, the gist of it is if, if you're in the industry and you kind of understand some of these you know, existing technologies, right? There's what's realized and known as the barrier film that you might see in kind of bagged produce in the produce department, right? Where you might see a bag lettuce or bag Brussels sprouts or bag whatever. Those bags are actually purpose built off of certain key kind of elements on a scientific basis to ensure that the products inside kind of remain as fresh as they possibly can for as long as they can. We took a similar approach and really redesigned a completely a complete new package and a jar with that same thought in mind, but much harder than it might sound like just scribbling notes on paper, which was actually the last piece of our puzzle. Prior to that packaging engineering project, we had developed a modified map process or modified atmosphere packaging process, which was a very standard technology in the space and has been for a long time. There's been some evolution, but we really modified that entire end-to-end system as it was originally designed and really applied it to high perishable fresh food that, you know, had very delicate sidewalls, high moisture content, 
a lot of things that typically made these types of products not really good candidates for this type of packaging technology. And so, you know, through that and some trade secret formulation and know-how that we developed over the years, we kind of bridged this, you know, three-legged stool of kind of a trade secret approach to formulations without preservatives, no additives, no sprays, no films, no no crazy stuff, just, you know, air you and I breathe every day with this kind of reformulated map technology. And then the final piece of the puzzle was really reformulating our packaging to really optimize the outcomes of pretty much anything we put in that package. And together we really created, I mean, our products right now, you put them in the refrigerator, a salad that was made yesterday, it will last a month and a half and you would never know it was made yesterday. We've, we've actually taken, taken salads that were two months old to sales meetings. We've put them on the table next to a salad that was made two days ago. We've asked buyers and folks to, to point and say, which one's which, and they can't do it. You know, folks have, have picked the two-month salad on multiple occasions. And it's just a testament to, you know, what we've been able to achieve from a preservation perspective. And it's really across any ingredient that's not actively fermenting. So, you know, we saw salads as a great opportunity. We saw kind of uh, composed yogurt parfaits as an opportunity. Obviously, smoothie kits were never possible. You know, combining fresh fruit, vegetables, leafy greens into one thing that was all fresh that didn't, you know, that could last more than two or three days was basically impossible until we gave it a, gave it a crack. On the outside, it just looks like a jar, right? There's yep. all this. Yep. Yeah. That, that's amazing. Does it matter, say, with leafy greens, if the leafy greens are two weeks old when you put them in or are, are you getting super fresh leafy greens or does it, does this, the stage of the produce going in make a difference? So we're not change makers and we can't reverse, you know, osmosis, right? So, you know, we can preserve basically the quality of the product going in the jar. We do not have like- can't go backwards. <laughs> yeah, we can't go backwards. We can't reverse anything. But, you know, we don't have like a, a remit internally where we have to have product that's only been harvested for a day or, or anything like that. I mean, we typically take anything that's got at least a week on it and then we can effectively, you know, 6X, you know, what you would typically expect from a, a shelf life as when it kind of enters our process. That's amazing to me that that works. That it yeah, can it's kind of cool. But, you know, I think it really speaks to kind of the founding principles of when I started this business, it, I was not a food scientist. I was a chef. I was just trying to, you know, but it became pretty clear pretty quickly that shelf life was the barrier to scaling anything out of regional operations. And really to, to, to solve the problem I set out to solve, we had to solve the shelf life problem. So it became a necessity. And, and, kind of one of those internal pivot points, you know, in, in terms of how we prioritize what we did as an organization. But, but you know, we, we're at a point now where we can effectively create a supply chain that's built on fresh refrigerated, not frozen, and not daily to really create for the first time a category that can really be more convenient, better quality in more places at a great price. And hopefully, significantly reduce, if not eliminate, the untold reality of, of shrink and waste that happens in the prepackaged category, which is typically 30, 40%, which is lost profits for the retailer. But it's also, let's face it, lost food, lost packaging, lost labor, lost time. And then folks are going hungry, right? So yeah. our hope is that not only does our advantage help with the retail landscape and, and help everybody's profit programs, you know, be enhanced while also enhancing quality and whatnot, but really, you know, trying to eliminate the best we can that that food waste problem 
and then you know empowering our consumers to help you know solve the hunger problem. I want to go back a, a minute on the when you realized that you really wanted more longevity in your product and and shelf life. How did you go about solving that problem, and how did you? Did you hire a bunch of food scientists? And, you know, you said that wasn't, you know, as a chef, that wasn't really your background to figure out right. what's going on in that jar. And and so how, how did you staff for that? And how did you solve that problem that that no one had had worked on before? Yeah, so we we did. We did a little bit of kind of educating ourselves in terms of so we didn't look like, you know, complete schmucks when we caught up, a, you know, food scientists or someone to try and get us to, you know, solve this unsolvable problem. And really kind of found our footing. And then we knew the right questions to ask. And we were able to speak to a a variety of folks from a variety of backgrounds to really kind of assist in bits and pieces. Not any one individual, you know, took us from point A to point Z. And we did that intentionally. So that way we could really kind of piece together an engineer from a variety of perspectives, how we should be thinking about this you know, if it is solvable, here's, you know, probably the only possible way. So and so, you know, so to speak, and really kind of looked externally to help validate and point us in the right directions. And then there was a lot of iteration, about a year and a half of iteration, and some discovery and some, you know, kind of out of the box thinking that only a a chef with no food science background would ever dare to suggest, (laughs) (laughs) which turned out to be a really, you know, good suggestion. And we cracked the nut, so to speak. And it's been phenomenal. And it really, you know, our goal was really to get to a week and a half. You know, when we were coming off of five or six days, we were like, man, if we can only get like three or four more days, right? And we got like five weeks. (laughs) It was like, all right, we're on to something. Let's go. That is really amazing. But then we realized that consumers, right, they do not trust the brand or the products as fresh if it's dated a month later. So when we initially kind of made this unlock, we were excited to, you know, put all this time and, you know, really put a lot of volume behind, you know, single commercial runs, you know, twice a month. And then we realized that nobody would buy it because they, <laughs> they, they didn't think it was fresh. And the reality is, is it is fresh and it's literally as good, if not better than you would ever get elsewhere. And it's amazing, actually, how crisp and fresh the greens are and how fresh everything smells and but it doesn't matter right there's not enough money perception. to go around to try and retrain the perception that you know if it's more than two weeks old there's no there's no way it's fresh and not our job to do that so we we kind of capped our our shelf life at that that maximum two weeks uh, so do you put a use by date on it we use a use by date yep yeah, and it's two weeks. We from- contemplated a Best Buy, but because some of our uh, products are USDA, it gets a little bit more, you know, tricky. So we just put used by across the board and, and call it a day. Uh, that's fascinating. So if you kind of zoom out a little bit and think about, you know, what drove you to this and what your interest is. So what do you think the importance of sustainable packaging is and and how are we moving forward as a society to to have less waste and to have more sustainable packaging? I think good things take time and and for the most part, we as humans as a species don't do much unless it's radically simple and easy. And so it's going to take a lot of time to kind of get to a level where we kind of get mass adoption. But 
from the onset and as a consumer, you know, as a millennial in, in our generation, you know, I think this process actually went through my mind before I started a company. And, and it was, if I'm going to start a comp company and be responsible for something and, and outcomes that I could influence across the board, I want it to stand something and I want it to make an impact for the next generation. Right. And, and so I think that's where we're headed. And I think there's a lot of shared sentiment behind that. And I think being in this space and having packaging be a, a byproduct of our product, engineering our packaging to to be a token and to reverse the reality of the world and, and try and get folks to recycle more and, and not be so wasteful was kind of a, a first step. But we have a variety of things on the horizon, right, where we can really, we're about to convert everything to recycled or our pet, right? So it's all post-consumer recycled material to even make our jars from the first place instead oh. of just using virgin, you know, first time, first time use from petrochemicals, which we're not proud of, but it's just the reality of getting started. We're now at a scale where we can start to uh, use some of that post-consumer recyclable, you know, and, and do better. But I do think that there is, we run the risk in the reality is you can use sustainability as a marketing gimmick and there's no sincerity behind it, right? Mm-hmm. So as a company, my direction to our team has always been, we don't lead with the why we do things. We always allow that to follow behind the rest of our story because we don't want to set a narrative that we're just doing this for buzz. We're doing it because we care and we're leading with product. We're leading with innovation. We're leading with flavor because that's what sets, you know, what truly sets us apart in the marketplace and oh, by the way, we actually, you know, care about the footprint we put on the planet and are doing our best to to do our best. And so we're a certified B Corp. We have been since the very beginning. Huh? You know, we're one of, I think, 2000 companies in the world. So it's a pretty profound certification, very robust and rigorous, very hard to get. Yeah. And we got it in like year, year one or year two. So pretty cool. But, you know, I think the... The false narrative is it can be a marketing gimmick, and you've even seen it with some of these packagings that are designed to be compostable, yet they're lined with all these oils and, and materials that never go away, right? So it's yeah. almost worse. But I do think that, you know, as a society, we're certainly heading in a direction where, you know, folks should be thinking about the, the impact we're putting on the planet, the footprint we're leaving behind for our next generation, and, you know, we should all come together and have the realization that it's our responsibility to do the best for our, our kids and their kids. And, and I think we're, we're getting started and we're moving in that direction. But I do think it's going to take a while to really get to a point where we can look back and, and say, you remember those days where you put everything in plastic? And, you know, you know, there was, you know, all these shopping bags in everybody's house for you know years and years and years that you know, never depleted. And. And it's funny, like I live in New Jersey and they just implemented a plastic bag ban. So the idea of going to a grocery store and not having bags to put your groceries in was like, I was just going to work. Yeah. And it, and it works just fine. Right. Like, it works yeah, just we've fine. had that in California for a long time. And yep. it, I remember the transition was like, this will never work. You know, yeah. are they going to have enough bags to, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, do this? Like, there's no way. And it's like completely fine. You know, I went from consuming probably. 25 bags on a grocery trip to three and I can use them again and again and again. And it's, it's great. So. Yeah. I think that's a good example of just, you know, we consumers can change their behavior, but you know, we have to start somewhere. That's right. 
Yeah. Well, Jared, thank you so much for your time today and, and all the good work that you do. And I'm going to have to find one of your retail outlets and, and I haven't had one of your salads, so I will find yeah, one. Well, if, uh, you're in California, Los Angeles. We're all over Costco and a bunch of other retailers. So on our website, you can go find a store, put in your zip code, boom, you know, everything in a 20 mile radius pops up and, you know, follow us on LinkedIn, social, you know, all the, whatever, wherever you go and, we always announce, you know, new distribution, new retailers, uh, almost on a weekly basis these days. But it's it's fun. So that's where you go for the the newest and greatest. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. That's it for today's fresh takes on tech. This entire season of the podcast focusing on issues associated with green packaging is supported in part by a grant from the USDA. FAS Technical Assistance for Specialty Crops program. Eat your vegetables and I'll see you next time.